Say It Southern, aspiring to live not just as moms, but as modern Southern women, we began this project to hear from those who inspire us and recognize those who are achieving their own personal goals. Listen in as we celebrate the South and those who say it Southern. Well, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Teens today are stressed out, sleep deprived, and overcommitted. And one of the biggest stressors for parents is preserving the relationship and supporting their teens. It's hard for parents to practice what they know is right when everyone around them seems to be frantically running around to lessons, to games, to tutoring. So join us now as we say it Southern with Cindy and Jen, the authors of The Parent Compass, who are here to guide us through the adolescent years. All right, Jen and Cindy, thank you for coming on Say It Southern today. Thank you for for having having us. us. Well, we're excited to hear all about your book, The Parent Compass. Uh, I just want to know, first of all, what what is the idea behind The Parent Compass? The Parent Compass, um, the history behind it is that it was sort of born out of Operation Varsity Blues, which is um, to some people known as the college admissions scandal. And while that's not really what we cover in the book, um, that certainly was the catalyst. Cindy and I connected that day um, just in horror at what we were seeing playing out um, on the national media. And we had these long conversations about the behavior. We're, we're educational consultants, um, and that's how we know each other. And so we were seeing behavior in our office offices um, where parents were over-parenting and overstepping, and certainly nothing that amounted to fraud and bribery like we were seeing in the national media. Um, but, but we were seeing kids who were burned out and stressed out, and we were seeing parents also who really wanted tools to um, preserve their relationship with their kids. Um, And we really felt like we had this message to get out there. And so a parent compass, um, and it's very kind of purest form, I guess you could say is a a tool. Um, it's, it's a way to hold yourself accountable as a parent, uh, for, for your parenting behavior, um, and a reminder to behave in ways that are going to, um, you know, help your kid thrive and really contribute to his or her well-being and contribute to your relationship, uh, with your teen or tween. You know, it's crazy because I think about this in perspective to like how we were growing up and like my mother was not, (laughs) yeah, I was the oldest of four and we were running in all different directions and she just wasn't involved. You know, I was reading about some of your helicopter, the snowplow, the tiger parent. I want to get into all that, but is this a generational thing that we are over parenting and overdoing with our kids is this because we're, it's us as parents? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I think it has only gotten heavier in the last generation uh, for a variety of reasons. It started in the early 80s when colleges started to brand themselves. They hired PR firms to basically, you know, get on U.S. News and World Report lists so they could yes. look like they were fancier and better and the place to be. And you know, parents and students got caught up in the, you know, media frenzy of going to a school that was on some magic list. And it started turning college into this prize instead of just 
a great experience that all students who want to have it should be able to have wherever they go. And I do think um, really actually probably this goes a little bit with your Southern hospitality. The book really began as an etiquette book, a way to teach parents better parent etiquette better behavior to check themselves. And yes, over this last generation, it has gone to a, a real, real extreme. And so I do think it's it's generational. I don't I don't recall a generation ago it being intense the way that we're that we're seeing now. One of the things that you mentioned in your book is that parents, before they get started in your book and the parent compass, is that they need to take a walk down memory lane themselves. What do you mean by that? So interestingly enough, that chapter, it does come at the beginning of the book, but actually was the last chapter that we wrote. And um, we were kind of discussing uh, toward the end as we were revising and editing and thinking through things that, goodness, you know, there is kind of this chasm that we've left out. We're asking parents to adopt these parenting strategies and try them on and see what works. Um, But at the very core, they need to understand why they're parenting the way that they are. And in order to do that, they need to look at the way that they were brought up and the way that academics were treated in their home. Um, And so that was sort of how this chapter came about. And we really wanted to get across the idea of physician heal thyself. So kind of that idea that before you can really truly help your tween or teen or anybody, frankly, um, you really need to make sure that you're in a good place and that you're understanding what your biases are. And so um, a big part of that chapter is these questionnaires that we created. And um, there are questionnaires for the parent to um, talk, to help them talk and communicate with either their partner, if they have a partner, or if they don't have a partner with another trusted adult or family member. Um, And then also to open up the lines of communication with their tween or teen. Um, And we we tested these questionnaires out and um, did them with our kids. We had um, other families do them with their kids. And we really found that when parents did come to their kids with humility and said, look, I, I would love to do this questionnaire with you. I would love to share our answers. I would love to open up our lines of communication. I want to be a better parent. And this is going, this is how I'm going to learn how to do that. We found that kids were really receptive to that because they really responded um, to that humility. I thought you were saying, let the kids do that. I was like, I don't know how many teenagers that are going to be coming to their parents wanting to sit down. No, no, no. <laughs> it's the parents. Yeah, parents yeah, no, parents just to be clear. To yes. <laughs> you, yeah. have to find, you have to find the right moment, too, to have that yes. conversation. You know, um, usually with, you know, some of the electronics put away, some food in front of you, you know, maybe in a meal, maybe in a car ride, you know, somewhere where you're not distracted. And really, it's a plea that the parents can make to their kids. Like, I just want to do better. And what kid would think, wow, their parent is saying they want to be a better parent. I probably owe it to them to at least, you know, explore this conversation. (laughs) I think it goes a long way when you can say, hey, you know what? I really screwed up today. Or like, remember when I bit your head off and you didn't have your shoes on and all that? (laughs) Like, I'm really sorry sorry for that. (laughs) It's me, not you. Yeah. (laughs) Mommy's going through some things, honey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so it does it and then they say oh mom you know it's it's okay and it does it opens that line of communication which is so important and I don't want to lose that because we're in middle school right now and I just feel it slipping away 
Yeah. So I'm the parent of four as well, um, but I have one in the real world and one in college and two in high school. So we just finished several rounds of middle school and Jen is also on her way to middle school <laughs> in a couple of years. So you ladies are in for a treat. Um, and I say that in quotes, I guess yeah. it is, it's really different. The communication becomes different. The personalities are different. The hormones are kicking in. Boys and girls are behaving differently depending on kind of the, the way their brains are growing. And uh, it really is a time for parents to say, okay, you know, do I want to be this pushy, barky, you know, manager that's fixing and, and so meddling in my kids' lives? Or do I want to let them kind of learn and grow and make some of these mistakes under the roof of our house where we can communicate about them and they can learn grit and resilience and all those things that we want them to learn that are much more important than straight A's and fancy schools and perfect test scores. You know, it can't be about that for these kids. They're not robots. Right. And because communication is so difficult, um, we do include in their tips for parents to communicate with their teens. So, um, you know, all of us know that kind of when our students get in the car, when they come home, it's how was your day? That's so natural to say, right? So um, we offer a bunch of questions in there that parents can say instead of how was your day to really elicit some meaningful dialogue and to really help their kids to open up. And then we also get into listening. You know, I think listening skills are so important at that age. And as parents, we, we know we've lived through it. We have so much advice to give and we think it's great advice. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we naturally kind of jump in if our kids come to us with a problem, it's, oh, well, have you tried this and you should do this and you should do this. And instead really we need to just sit there and, and see what it is that they want. We actually posted something on Instagram recently um, that was something to the effect of the fact that listen and silent have the same yes. exact same letters in them. I and read I that. It's so potent because um, it, I, it's, it's so true. We need to be silent more, zip our lips, and really um, be in tune with what it is that our kids really need from us. Well, there's so much we could dive in yes. on. I mean, the each chapter is like point after point after point, but I don't think you can talk about technology enough. I don't think you can talk about anxiety and depression in this this age group enough. So where does all that start and where where how do we navigate that? Is that from, like you were talking about, Cindy, the pressure and the expectation and, and this, like, we got to have it all, do it all kind of mentality that we're pushing on our kids? Or is it... Or is it hand in hand with technology? Are they being influenced from social media? And and that's is it one and the same or two different beasts? Yeah. That technology, honestly, I mean, if you want to pick one chapter that Jen and I just could not write, it was the hardest. It's the hardest writing assignment I ever had to try yeah. to write. We couldn't write a book for parents of tweens and teens without discussing technology, but we really needed to turn to experts because there have been so many books written on it and the technology, as we know, is changing daily, uh, you know, and our kids are way ahead of us in this. And um, we were so surprised when we looked at, you know, I live in Silicon Valley, um, you know, surrounded by the founders of, you know, Google and Facebook and Apple. And we, we were so surprised and pleasantly surprised and scared to see that when we looked into these leaders of these companies, they don't let their kids do tech at home. They don't let, they didn't buy their kids smartphones. They, or, you know, they, they were trying to limit what this cause was creating. And if all of us have seen the social dilemma movie, we see how scary 
that looks to really spell out how manipulated we're all being, you know, manipulated by this technology. However, it has some amazing applications, as we also know. I mean, during COVID, how would kids have connected if, you know, if they didn't have screens to connect them? Or how would schools have taught our kids without Zoom? You know, so there were really, you know, we know there's great things about it. And it's how to walk that very fine line and constantly revise and temper that. So we turn to these amazing thought leaders and experts. Um, we turned to kids, we turned to teachers, we turned to other authors who'd written, and we put together in this chapter kind of some, some specific thoughts that we gathered on, for example, teaching our kids to ask the question, why am I posting this? What is my purpose? And as a parent, asking yourself, what is my purpose in posting this photo or story or image of my child? What, who am I sharing with it, it with? You know, am I invading their privacy? And I have to say, I was a very different, I had a very different behavior on Facebook 20 years ago than I do now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've tempered that and I asked my kids their permission. You know, when I take a picture, they say, don't post that, you know, are you posting that? You know, and sometimes I say, I'll just send it to grandma and grandpa, you know, but honestly it's, it is privacy. And when they're really little, they don't, they don't have the words to tell you that. I'm not saying don't post, but know who you're posting to and what your intention is. And what that post does and what social media is doing is the, is, is the killer in bullying and in fearing of missing out. These kids are seeing in real time friends getting together, friends making up dances, friends at parties, friends doing things that they're excluded from. And that is just heartbreaking because we have to counsel our kids it's heartbreaking for the kid who's excluded. And it's also kind of an invasion of privacy for the kids who are showing what's going on in their world at all moments. So it is a tricky one. Jen, you probably have some, some better comments in this area than I do. Oh, I not know. better. No, no. I think you really <laughs> covered it. Um, I think that there is maybe, I think what you were asking was like, part of your question was about the anxiety of depression. Does it go hand in hand with technology and not? And certainly, I mean, I think that that is one of the biggest problems facing teens today, you know, when our lens is always through educational consulting. So college counseling and, um, and speaking to our students through that. And, you know, I will say I had so many kids, even just this last year who, um, were worried about college admission, um, and their admission results and how that all plays out on social media. So I got in here and I didn't get in and these people are all celebrating and I feel terrible about, my, about myself. And, um, you know, e even that part of it is really, really painful for kids. I had one student who um, got so sad by it that she just turned off social media and did not go on for several months. And frankly, I think that that was a good decision for her. I think that it was a very um, very responsible and mature decision, um, because she knew that it was really negatively affecting her. Um, so I, I certainly think that it is a huge, huge problem. I also do think that the anxiety and depression, we know that over the last 10 years, um, anxiety and depression in, um, college age students has skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. And we know that that stuff is starting well before those students even step on to college campuses. So I think technology is part of it, but I also think that the pushing and the pressure and the overparenting um, and the fact that many of these students um, don't have self-advocacy skills and they haven't learned um, these really important life skills is also contributing to that anxiety and depression as well. Well, that's what I was going to ask next, because there are a lot of parents that push their children to do everything. And yeah. it's not just doing everything. It's being the best 
at everything. So, I mean, people, I don't know how you expect your kid to be a straight A student, the star athlete on every sports team. I, I just don't understand when there's have the time. lead in the school play. Yeah, lead in the school play. Have a job. I mean, they may it. not like it. You know, like your child may not like to get on stage. Your yeah. child may not like football. You know, but they're doing it, and they're trying. They're doing it to please themselves, or are they doing it to please the parents? So, what do we do in this situation? What's advice? What advice can you give parents on this? Um, I think that my best piece of advice is actually a quote that Cindy and I heard recently. So I am stealing this from Dr. Dan, um, who said he, he, he told us a story about how he went to a parenting talk years and years ago. He is a therapist, um, and he has his own podcast as well. And, um, he said when he was just starting out in therapy, um, his kids were young, but he went to, I think it was like a, a middle school talk. His kids were even in middle school yet. And the speaker said that the only thing that really leaves your house after 18 years is your relationship with your child. And I think that that is the best piece of advice and the best thing that all of us can remember because the pushing and the prodding and the, you have to be the best and you have to get a sports scholarship or you have, you know, you have to do this and you have to do that. That's only fracturing in the long run, your relationship with your child. And isn't that what we all want at the end of the day? We want to have that relationship with them. Um, so I think that's the best piece of advice I can give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I would probably just add to that, the idea that, um, it goes back to kind of listening and understanding the signals that our kids are giving us. And, you know, we introduce them to lots of things when they're young, you tote them around to different activities and different things that are familiar to you. And sometimes they come to you and say, I don't like this, or this isn't really fun, or do I have to go back? And I remember a phone call I got from a mother of a fifth grader who said, to me, oh, my son wants to quit Boy Scouts, but I need him to become an Eagle Scout so he can get into college. And I was like, he's in fifth grade. You know, there's so many other things he can be doing. And so I think as parents, we really do have to read each of our kids and check in with them. You know, is it going okay? It doesn't mean every day at practice is going to be amazing. They're going to complain and they're going to be tired, but are you really enjoying this? Is this how they want to be spending their limited free time and in the quantity, you know, there's just not that much, not that many hours in the day. They still have their homework and their friends and sleep and eating and other things. Oh, yeah, sleep. Not sleeping. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, other things we want to try to fit in. So I really think it's, you know, finding out what are the, you know, what are the couple things that excite your child or what's the one thing that excites your child and helping them you know, find ways to do that activity. And again, the activity does not have to be captain of this or head of that. I say you can be a joiner or you can be a leader and you can work your way up to the top when you're a joiner or you don't work your way up to the top. You're a worker bee and you're helping and you're a helper person. And so I just feel like, you know, it's our duty to let them be kids and let them express to us the things that they enjoy and the things they don't. And they will if we ask them or if we pay attention. Um, you know, we can see them glaze over when they're just miserable in the car ride there or the car ride back or when someone's yelling at them about, you know, they didn't do this in the game or they didn't do that in the game. You know, it's just heartbreaking. And um, they are just little people that only get to be kids once. I have a son that's out of the house now and he's like, oh my gosh, I wish I were, you know, I miss being a kid. And we got to let them look back on it, wanting to remember how great that was. 
So as parents, how important it, how important is it for us to know what type of parent we are and what we can do? Because I, I think I don't think anybody would really say they're a helicopter parent, but maybe they are. Mm. You think they'd admit, you know, like, or that they're a tiger parent or a snowplow? Like, do you think they really know? No, I think, no, I don't. But I think we know. Yeah, we know. We don't don't always see it in ourselves. We don't always see it in ourselves. And listen, throughout the book, Jen and I share real examples of mistakes we've made too. We are far from perfect. We're not saying we're the perfect parents. We have evolved and learned over time. And I think we also know that we learn more with each child that we have. Um, We're very different parents to our first child than we are to our second or third, just because of our experience and, you know, and, and the reality that we know we're not going to break them. They're going to turn, everything's going to be okay in the end. And what feels like such a big deal to them that they can catastrophize, we know is not a big deal. It's a learning experience. It's a mistake. It's something that they can grow from. And we want them to have those mistakes and make those mistakes because if we tiger and hover and helicopter and we fix all the time, we're not letting them learn what it feels like to fail or to make a mistake or to fall down and get hurt. And if we just keep scooping and picking them up all the time and hover, 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 you know, what, what's left for them to do that feels good for themselves. And these parents of varsity blues, I mean, they smothered these kids, their behavior showed their kids we don't believe in you. We don't believe you can do this on your own, even with legal support, you know, with support right. in, a, in a way that's not breaking the law. And the sad thing was so many of these kids that, you know, got sort of dragged into this by their parents were, were doing fine in school. We're, we're going to actually selective elite schools for that matter. And they were going to come out the other end with great choices, regardless of their parents' bad choices that they made and illegal behavior that they you know, exhibited. So I think we need to, you know, find a couple friends like you two have this great friendship. You need to check each other and call each other on some of these things and find a little tribe or a village for yourself of like-minded parents that are kind of looking out for one another and not competing with one another shoulder to shoulder. This is not, they're not our, mm-hmm. they're not our prizes. They're not our trophies. They are little human beings and wherever they end up going, whatever they end up doing, you know, we are going to celebrate that. And it's, it's hard when your kids hurt themselves or make mistakes or feel sad. You want to, you know, reach in and, and protect them, but we also need to let them sit with that and feel that and process that and move forward from that. Do you think that there, there's such a thing about normalizing failure in a way that you can make it just seems like, Failure is not the end all be all. Like that's where the growing happens is when you don't get to where, you know, this, whatever this utopia, this euphoric space is where you feel like I've got to get, I got to be the best. I got to have the best grades. But if you don't get there to decrease some of the anxiety and, and some of the worry, should we normalize failure a little more? There's an entire chapter about that in the parent compass. Um, and so our advice is in your just subtle comments over time is to be praising our children for their journey, for their effort, for um, how hard they work on something as opposed to the destination. So if it's a school project instead of, oh my gosh, great, you got an A, I'm so excited. 
Um, it's wow. I saw how much time and effort you put into working on that. Or I saw all the extra research that you did for this project or wow. I'm so proud of you for seeking out help from your teacher. Um, and in doing so over time, we're facilitating this mindset that I can help my, um, intelligence or talent or whatever it is, uh, grow and when we're when we're praising the destination instead, we're gonna you know help them. Uh, they're gonna kind of get what what's called um, it's all backed in research done by a woman named Carol Dweck. And um, when we're focusing too much on their destination, um, we are instilling what's called a fixed mindset. So they start to think I am either smart or I am not smart. Mm -hmm. And so they do start to shy away from taking risks and really embracing failure because if they do that, then, uh uh-oh, I'm not smart anymore if I make a mistake. Um, So I think we can do it in in kind of subtly over time, how how we praise them and the language that we use when we do that. And also in role modeling, right? If, If we in our own lives, they're always watching us. So if we in our own lives avoid mistakes or get really upset at making mistakes or get upset at our partner, um, if we have a partner for making mistakes, they're they're watching that and they also know that that's going to happen. Um, so so in that in, you know in that instance, they're also going to shy away from making mistakes as well. Well, with that too, what what do you think about parents? It's almost like the praise that they give their kids, like. And this is kind of along the same line, but like they're the best at everything, you know? And so then they start thinking they're the best of everything. And then when they do fail, you know, it's like, what, why I'm, I'm supposed to be the best. Yeah. So I think what about that? that? With, yeah. I think that that arrived when um, we gave kids trophies for participating, right? Like everything yeah. was a gold star and everything was, you know, every kid is a winner. And, um, you know, I think that came out of this generation a lot more because in the last, we were not raised, Mm -hmm. you know, with our parents saying, Oh my God, wow. Oh my God. You're so good at this. Oh my gosh. It's just was like, all right, you know, be in by six o'clock for dinner or nine o'clock for dinner, you know, make sure you give us a call if you're at someone else's house. You know, I mean, we are, we are privy to our kids, every movement, And, um, you know, parents are tracking their kids in college and texting them in the morning to wake them up in the morning. I mean, in college, yeah, it's unbelievable because they haven't let their kids oversleep in high school or middle school and know what that feels like. Or kids are breaking down because they didn't get an assignment turned in on time because they don't know what it's like to not have their parents bring the, drive the assignment to school if they left it on the kitchen table. You know, these are wonderful, wonderful lessons we've learned from um, Jessica Leahy's great book called The Gift of Failure. And her book will teach, you know, we highly recommend it. We interviewed her, we quote her in our book. Her book studies the history of where failure began in our educational world, starting with like Laura Ingalls Wilder and like, you know, I mean, she goes way back in time to kind of colonial America and how we have shifted into this culture that is just celebrating, you know, every milestone, even if your kid is not the winner. And so to me, our goal as parents is just to find something our kids feel really good about doing or a subject that they really like in school that makes them feel good. And usually those subjects tend to be the subjects that they do better in tend to be the ones they like better. But sometimes a great teacher can inspire kids to like a new subject and a not so great teacher can ruin 
the subject the kid loves, right? We know like year to year that can kind of change. But as parents, let's help our kids find the things that bring them joy. And whether it brings us joy or not, let's celebrate them. And, you know, my my nephew, um, you know, knew every single sports statistic out there. And my sister, his mother, was not a big sports fan. But every morning, she would watch the scores with him. And she would let him teach her about last night's games and what was going on with the draft and what was going on with the teams. And she could care less about sports. It just wasn't her interest. But her son loved sharing that with her. So they bonded on that, you know. I have a son who likes to go to art museums. I happen to love that. So we shared that easily, but he also likes Greek and Latin. And I know nothing about that, but through the years, he's taught me why he likes it. And it's just his quirky interest. And whether it's Star Wars or whether it's checkers or whether it's diving or whether it's trapeze flying, it doesn't really matter as long as our kids feel good about what it is they're doing. And they don't need it to be everything because then the other things are the things that hurt and that are harder mm-hmm. and that they're going to have to struggle through, which we want them to have those struggles while they're in our home. So we can be by their side, let them know we're there to go through it, but let them learn how to move through those uncomfortable things. I think sometimes that we go, we see their potential, mm-hmm. you know, and it becomes like, I see their potential to be a great athlete. I see their potential to be the best in, you know, track and field or science or honors this and honors that. And, you know, sometimes our good intention comes out sideways and it comes as that negativity that, you know, instead of just going, you got to be the best, like Sarah was talking about earlier, going, you can be whatever you want to be. And there, that's two different things. Right. I think you a know, lot of it too comes down to something we talked about earlier, our ego, right? If we see yes. the potential in our kid, then, oh my gosh, then they're going to be good. And then people are going to pay attention to us. And then people are going to pay attention to, to, you know, to, to me because my kid is good. And it goes back to that whole competitive parenting thing that somehow if my kid is great at something, that means that I was a better parent or I was a, you know, I was superior to everybody else in my community. And that, that's not what it means. It's, it's about our kids. It's really not about us. Um, and, and, and we need to divorce ourselves from that. That's good. So I want to ask you a question then about downtime for teens and tweens, because we are pushing them, you know, to be the best at it all or whatever we want them to be, or they enjoy it all. So we're pushing them to do it all. It keeps them out of trouble if they're involved in every sport, you know, all year long. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what about a like, lot of gas we don't the want car. them to miss out, you know, on mm-hmm. anything. So, but what about downtime? I mean, just chilling at the house, doing nothing on a Saturday, chilling at the crib. What, what has happened to That's that a time? thing in the past. It is. But do they need this downtime? They absolutely need this downtime. Yes. Um, in fact, the research shows that, you know, playtime and downtime and family time are all really important in mental health. And we specifically, when we wrote this book, this was not just an education book and a parenting book. This was a mental health book. Mm-hmm. We want to help the wellness and preserve this mental health of these tweens and teens. And by giving them time to disconnect, to play, um, whether their play is Legos when they're little or whether it's video games or whether it's just to walk outside with the dog or throwing the ball, things that are unstructured and that can allow them to the time to kind of decompress are 
are really good for their mental health. And um, we are really supportive of this organization called Challenge Success, which does a lot of research on this. We quote them in our book and Playtime, Downtime, Family Time is their term and their terminology that they have a whole paper they've written on this with studies of how important it is to build this into our kids' lives. Even if you have to do something extreme, like take a tech a tech break as a family, you know, have a 24-hour period where you're not on your devices or a 12-hour period where you're not on your devices or make sure you get outside or make sure your kids have the things that they like to do just for pure pleasure. And it could be truly like taking a bath, meditating, going on a run, binging a show, you know, just looking at them kind of veg out in the crib, as you said, is a great, great thing for everyone's mental health. For us too, as parents, you know, we have to do that and, and disconnect. Mm -hmm. Jen, did you have something else you wanted to add? No, I was just, I was just going to add that, um, sometimes, especially in really busy families, it can almost be necessary to schedule that downtime in as, as almost counterintuitive as that seems. Um, it is really important because if you don't schedule it in, then maybe it's not going to happen. Um, and I think we all know from our own lives that as parents, um, we're busy, we're, you know, carpooling here, carpooling there, working, go, you know, driving all around. And I find myself, if I don't get downtime, I'm not a very good mom. I'm not very nice to anybody. And we can only expect the same of our kids, you know? So, um, so I think another tip would just be to, to schedule it in if it's not happening. Um, cause some kids I find are so, um, are so scared about, well, if I take a break, if I have any downtime, then it's going to affect my grades or whatever. Um, but the actual reality is that when we take that downtime, we're more rejuvenated and we're more able to approach whatever task we were doing. Um, and, and we have more headspace to work toward those grades if that's what it is that the student wants to do. So the downtime can actually compound, um, you know, well-being. I like hearing that. I like to hear that. Um, I have another question too about something that's changed from our generation. You two may need to have an after well, after podcast call. We can. Yeah. We love it. We love but it. But I did want to know because something else that's changed from when we grew up to having like the summers with the downtime, the weekends were down, but also jobs. We all, growing up, everybody had a summer job. And on the weekends, everybody had a job. Yes. No one works now in, in yes. high school. Ever. I mean, yeah. it's not that they don't work. They're working, but they're working at like right. sports or whatever it is year round. But how beneficial is it for children to have jobs or teens to have jobs? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm big on big on kids having jobs. And it doesn't. it can be during the school year. But if that conflicts with all the other activities going on, then it definitely should be in the summer. So just so that kids learn what it's like to apply, show up, you know, have accountability and actually earn their own $20 that on Friday night doesn't really barely buy you a pizza when you go out with your friends. Mm -hmm. And I think it also demonstrates, you know, this independence and this self-sufficiency that we want our kids to learn and to have. So it depends on as a parent, you know, what it is you pay for versus what it is your kids pay for, but age appropriate jobs are out there, you know, scooping ice cream, bagging groceries, babysitting, putting together a little summer camp, walking people's dogs, getting their mail, you know, not, um, you know, it doesn't have to be an impressive job at some fancy company because we all know a high schooler or even a middle schooler is not going to be able to contribute in that way. But 
you know, middle schoolers can have jobs. They don't have to wait till they're 16 or 17. And their jobs can be, you know, washing cars in the neighborhood and, you know, finding just creative ways to to give up their time and also to volunteer, you know, if they want to do that. But I think the job process and actually going through, you know, filling out a form, interviewing with somebody, being accountable to someone that's not your parents, that's, you know, going to a place where you need to go is great. A lot of kids did virtual jobs through COVID, tutoring younger kids. Um, you know, my, my daughter was giving, actually, Jen, remember my daughter gave some ballet lessons to Jen's daughters <laughs> early on in COVID in the summer, and she was so excited. I think Jen paid her $10, and she was so thrilled. You know, whatever it is, they need to feel like they're they have, you know, skills to contribute to. So I think jobs are really important. In addition, jobs are huge equalizers because I really think they demonstrate, especially for, you know, kids from fancy zip codes, that they're not snooty, that they're not kids that just are used to getting everything they want, that they have put in some real hours and time to, you know, earn their own money. And um, I think it teaches a lot of great lessons to kids. You also talk about treating school like it's your job. Tell me yeah, about I, that. I, I, I believe that too. I believe that, um, you know, the cons, Jen and I both kind of, you know, buy into the concept that parents wake up every day and do whatever they're going to do, manage a household, go to a job, um, you know, and, and, you know, and, and do work to support their families. And um, whether that works at home or not doesn't matter. But kids, their job is to get up every day and go to school and, you know, do the best, be the best student that they can be and learn those life skills and learn those academic skills and learn how to do what the teachers expect of them and to question those things too and, and to grow. And so they do have a job that, you know, they get up and do. Some people don't like that analogy. I happen to love it. And my older son even liked to view school like a sport. Like he did like to kind of compete in school. Like for him, that was his style. You know, he liked to show up in class kind of ready to, to win it, whatever that meant to him. And some kids just school is, you know, the, the drudgery of a job. The part that's not as fun is just kind of doing the homework and the assignments and, and, and figuring stuff out. But that's what they are kind of here to do right now is to kind of go to school and, and do their job and be a student while we do our jobs being their parents and, and providing for them. Right. One of the chapters that I really like is life after 3 p.m. What should life look like after 3 p.m.? How do you navigate it? Jen, do you want to take that one? Sure. (laughs) Um, So first of all, one of the things that we tackle in that chapter is tutoring. Um, And maybe that's where we should start. So we have seen um, a huge growth in tutors, the use of tutors over the past Uh, many years, I think as college admission has gotten more competitive, students feel like they need to have um, good grades. And so the tutoring has honestly gotten out of control. And we we share a couple anecdotes of, um, you know, these giant tutoring centers where kids just go there after school and they're tutored in every single subject. And, or tutoring rooms, families that put in like a room where the ki- in their house where kids go and they study and um, with a tutor all afternoon and the tutor helps them with their homework in every single subject. Um, and so we go through all the things that families really should think about before hiring a tutor. We're not saying that tutoring is not um, a useful tool. It certainly can be. Um, but we ask parents to ask themselves, has the student gone to a teacher first to get an extra help? Has the student gone to a sibling or an older friend to get extra help? Um, 
Has the student looked up resources that are free and available online? Um, and then, you know, if the student still is really struggling, then potentially consider a tutor. Um, but certainly I wouldn't go search out tutors in every single subject, um, you know, with the goal of, you know, always having to get straight A's in every single subject. Um, we cover a lot of things in that chapter. We cover healthy snacks. Um, we cover the necessity of doing uh, downtime um, and family time um, in that chapter as well. Um, and just really with the idea that um, kind of going back to what we were talking to earlier, that balance is really key, that the students um, really, um, when their wellness is, is in check, when they have um, the best balance is actually that translates to the classroom as well. The students who don't have that balance, um, you know, as much as we think that they're going to be achieving so much more in the classroom if they're studying all the time, they're not. That actually ends up holding them back in the long run. I think I just add a minute um, here just about family meals. And, um, you know, we've heard so much about how important it is to try to grab a meal together. And I say grab because sometimes that's as quick as it ends up feeling like with all the different schedules. And I think if COVID taught us anything, it um, was to slow down. And uh, how important that is that we hopefully do not ratchet up and gear up to a higher level of, you know, busyness than what we had before COVID. I mean, I know we're trying to make up for some lost time here just because we all are antsy and want to get out and about and see people too and, and all of that. But honestly, um, family meals, you know, I used to laugh because having four kids at all different times of activity, how could you even find a time to sit down together? And it doesn't have to be dinner. It can be a, a snack after school that you sit down and enjoy for a half an hour or 20 minutes. It can be, you know, you're, you're having one meal with one kid while your partner's having a different meal with a different kid. But it's that idea of sitting down and having a conversation, putting the technology away and connecting and engaging in that, you know, in what we like to do when we go out to a restaurant in that social, you know, behavior, you know, we tend to loosen up more when we have food around us and we're just kind of not thinking as hard about other things. And studies have been done. In fact, we quote them in our book from um, this white paper that Columbia University did on addiction and substance abuse. And the science tells us that if we sit down with our kids for family meals, they are less likely to use alcohol. They are less likely to smoke marijuana. They are less likely to do poorly in school. Like it, the science is telling us sit down and eat with your kids. Wow. Spend some time having that. And the, the eating may be a sack lunch in the back of the car before the next, you know, team activity starts, but you need to have that time to kind of share food and break bread. And it does sound silly. Obviously the more kids you can get together to do it, the better. And if you're during the week is really crazy, then make a priority of Sunday night dinners together or Sunday morning brunches together. And, and you know, and, and you'll have to reschedule them week to week as life takes over. But, um, but, you know, we didn't realize, and I'm a terrible cook. I mean, I will be the first to say it. My kids know it. So I don't mind ordering in if I have to or involving my kids and helping me prep. And um, it's a great way to get your kids involved in, you know, setting the table, clearing the table, you know, some of those life skills. And, and we do laugh that typically when it's time to do dishes, they have 
a big test the next day or they have, you know, a phone call that they have to take or a text or whatever. And I used to joke that my older sister's boyfriend always called as soon as dinner was over. Somehow the phone rang and it was him. So she must have told him right when we sat down to call in 30 minutes. So the point is, even those skills of setting the table and clearing the table and and having just some contribution at home, they should feel comfortable doing that so that when they get out there, when they're in their first apartment or their first dormitory and they have to feed themselves, they have a little sense of how they do it. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. I love that. I do too. (laughs) Well, before we let you go today, what is one piece of advice that you can give our listeners when parenting teens and tweens? I'm a really big believer in tangible reminders, those things that we can carry around with us that help us remember to do something. Um, And so I have a bowl of earplugs in my office that I hand out to all of my students when I start working with them. And what I tell them is that I want them to carry it around with them in their backpack or put it in their locker or in their pencil bag um, to just have as a tangible reminder to drown out the noise and to stay the course and to concentrate on what it is that makes them who they are. Um, And so likewise, um, I would extend that as uh, to my biggest piece of advice for parents to kind of um, either either go out and buy one of those little foam earplugs um, or or metaphorically um, remember to carry around your earplugs with you and stick them in so that you can concentrate on what makes your kids special, what makes your family special. Um, and to, to drown out that negative noise around you and to kind of really um, push away the competitive parenting. Um, because I think that, again, you know, our relationship with our kids is, um, is the most important thing. And those earplugs can really help you with that. The parents probably need them more than the kids. I'll buy two pairs. I'm going to buy two pairs. One for my purse, one for my bedside table, put one in the kitchen drawer. Sorry, kids. Mom's got it. I got my plugs in. I think my uh, my quick piece of advice would just be, and I might have to say it twice because it's pretty potent, Jen and I write about it in the book, to appreciate the child you have in front of you, yes. not the one that you are trying to inauthentically create. So appreciate who they are for what they are, for their, for their flaws, for the things that are wonderful. And um, they're just little people. They're just little people that look up to us as, you know, as guides and partners in this. And we just want to, we don't want them all to have to go to therapy when this is all over. We want them to like us and grow up to be nice, happy humans that contribute in ways that, that, that delight them. So just appreciate them and appreciate them for exactly who they are. Love that. Well, y'all, I'm Thank so you. glad we found you. And I'm, I'm so thankful for people like you and Kim Swells, you know that, and how she connected us. And and sometimes I just don't know how we would do it. We need y'all and the Holy Spirit and the therapists and everybody else to help us. So, Well, it takes a village of moms. Yes. We love you guys. Absolutely. We've been following your show and we love your message. We love your warmth and your kindness. And we just think, you know, say it Southern is, it was where it is. So yeah. that's why we wanted to spend some time with you too. We think you guys are doing a great job. And, um, you know, the parents who are curious and asking the questions and reading the books are not always the parents who need it. So hopefully they hear it when they listen to your show. And, um, you know, we really appreciate um, you having us on and and supporting the Parent Compass movement. All right. So proud of you guys. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye.
Thank you. You know what I love? When two strong females put their heads together and come up with like an amazing business concept. Right. Just like the parent compass. Right. And also Wheezy Towels with Lindsay and Liz. Now, I don't know about you, but I am dying for the hand towels that they sent me. They get more luxurious and more plush with every wash. Every wash. It's their go-to brand for luxury towels and robes, too. Speaking of robes, you know that they gave us all those amazing robes to use for the getaway. Uh, they were so beautiful, and they were customized yeah. for each guest. And we were able to pick the thread color, the embroidery, font, the trim on the robes. It, they were awesome. And if you want yours, you can get yours with code Say It Southern to get fifteen dollars off all orders over one hundred dollars. Love it. Thank you, Wheezy. Once again, Jen and Cynthia, please just move in the house with me and help me raise my children. We need them all. Right? Yes. Every point I was like, okay, I need to write that down. I need to know that. I need to do that. I need to spend more time here. You know, just... Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, it's such a scary world because I think we're all so afraid of like messing up our children. Doing too much or not enough. Oh, or, we're messing you know, them it's up. it's just like... 100% <laughs> we're, sure. we're messing them up. I mean... There's just no way to avoid it at this point. <laughs> that's right. You know, I mean, it's we've never had a generation that's been raised on iPads. I mean, look at Stella. Stella, oh, God. Stella could not learn sentences if it weren't for PBS. Can I just tell you that? True or false? Stella, we were in carpool line, like, you know, we kind of pull around. She's the last one to get dropped off, and her window was down, and parents are walking out back to their cars. She yells out the window. Luckily, I knew the woman. It's like, <laughs> bye, Felicia. No, she didn't. Yes. And the woman turned around. I was like, oh, my word. That's what I'm saying. Oh, my word. Like, she's going to be screwed up. Just so you know. (laughs) Just so you know. She's been raised on PBS and TikToks. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) And, I mean, and so one of the points that I love that they made is that we have to let our kids have that kind of failure. Like, right. we just got to give them that. We can't save them for, from everything. We can't shield them from everything. I love that point about failing. You know what I love is just hearing about college, too, because that's not even on my radar. You what know, do you mean? Just the thoughts about college. You know, I think they said that the only thing that really leaves your house after 18 years is the relationship with your child. Right. Because, I don't know, I guess to me right now where I am in life, I don't feel like they're ever going anywhere. No, it's day to day. Oh I mean, my gosh. I mean, it's it's what have we got tomorrow afternoon. Right. Exactly. And so to even like start thinking ahead to that was just, I needed that. I needed to hear that. Like that's how important it is for us to be intentional and make these relationships and and listen to people like these ladies and take their advice and read their books. Well, I mean, the thing is too, is you got to think about how do you build that relationship with your kids, right? right? I mean- you can are you gonna build it in the car with them, taking them to every event? Are you gonna schedule downtime, playtime, family time? Like where we are now, we've got to schedule the time to just be together. Right. Or it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Well, I love I mean, I say this all the time about your Sundays. I love yeah. what you do on Sunday, the yeah. tech free Sunday. And I keep saying I'm gonna implement this and it has yet oh, to Graham happen. hates it. I oh, mean I'm sure. You know, he hates it. I'm sure, I'm sure. And Dean too. He's like, No dude perfect on Sunday. And I'm like, No dude perfect no. <laughs> you know? But I mean, like I noticed this week, for example. We got to Wednesday. We had had football practice on Monday, a game on Tuesday. Christine's got soccer on Monday, something on Wednesday. And by Wednesday afternoon, my kids 
or short-tempered. Graham was like, I don't want to go to guitar, you know, and I'm like, well, you've made a commitment. We're Mm -hmm. not going to inconvenience someone else and just say, hey, we can't be there today when he's prepared for you to be there. Right. So, like, what has to give? What has to shift? Mm -hmm. And I I text Jason, and I said, I think he's overwhelmed with all the things, Mm -hmm. like, Schoolwork, homework, homecoming week. I mean, it's just back to what we were saying last week about like coming back to life back after COVID and everything's reopening. It's just, it's a lot. And they are used to having downtime and playing outside after school or there was no school, but playing outside all day long with their Mm -hmm. friends. And Mm -hmm. now there's no time for that. I know. It's really, it is sad. Well, we got to have one night a week. I mean, we have to have one day a week where there's nothing going on. And that happened to be last night. We made a meal. I didn't see my kids all afternoon. They were on their bikes. I mean, mm-hmm. it just, they were ready to go to bed by 9 o'clock. Like, it just was kind of normal. Yeah. And my kids cannot function. I'm just telling you right now. And I can't either. I was going to say, this is you. Yeah. You're just like this. Yeah, I can't either. Mm-hmm. If, if I don't have some, like, scheduled time to process and just kind of, I don't know, catch up. Yeah. Well, maybe that's also what they were talking about, going back and down memory lane, looking back at your own childhood. Kinda right. Kind of you, how you are. Like, your children are probably just like you. Yeah. Well, you know? think about it, though. Everything in their life is so instructed. School's instructed. Practice is instructed. You know, any kind of lesson that they're in, is it's all instructed. They need some non-instructed mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. You know? And... Okay, you know when they were talking about grounding in the... Remember when we were like, okay, what is that? And they were like, it's when you take your shoes off yes, and you walk yes, in the yes, grass, yes. you hug a tree, you... You get to the roots of things. Yes, you got to yes. touch it, feel it, ground yourself. I was talking to my kids about that. We were having a meltdown from every corner the other day, and I was like, everybody outside, take your shoes off. I did this. And they took their shoes off, and they were like, what are we doing, Mom? And I was like, let me teach you something that I learned last week. Grounding is when all this stuff, all this ancillary stuff that's going on in the world, I was like, you need something that's connected to the center. And you know what's connected to the center? Every blade of this grass, every tree. You need something with roots. And you need to just like take a minute, get outside, breathe the air, and get grounded. But and you were saying yes, okay. So yeah, I'm such a skeptic of this sort of thing. You know, I'm like this you don't is so like not the way me. I, am I not, love it. I am not a sign me up. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is not me. But Mary Hyatt was talking about grounding and and, the, and walking around barefoot. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to go out and hug a tree, but I do. Well, I will walk around my yard with no shoes on. Mm-hmm. And so one day I was really feeling overwhelmed. I was like, maybe Mary's right. Maybe I just need to walk around. Yeah, not necessarily hug a tree, but just walk around. Mm-hmm. And I really did. And I. Felt so much better. Of course. It's crazy. But think about that, though. All that stuff outside. All of that's producing oxygen. You know, they're putting off oxygen. That's what you need. You're in your house. You're stalemate. You're in your car. It's recycled air. I mean, yes. it just does such a want you and your power walking. (laughs) I mean, you can't. take my shoes off. You can't tell me that your breath and the way you're swinging that ponytail and those hips and those arms moving, I'm telling you, y'all, I can spot her. I can pull into the neighborhood and know that it's her 500 yards away when I see those that those arms, those elbows out, just swinging. You can't tell me that it make you feel better. It makes me feel so much better. Yes. Yeah. That's why I do it. Yeah. I love it. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's that, it's that whole thing of like, sometimes we just got to strip away the junk, put our kids outside barefooted. Yeah. And us too. Yeah. <laughs> Uninstructed. That's right. And put those earplugs in like they mentioned. Oh my gosh. I loved them talking about that. I thought that was so funny. Yeah. How they carry around like extra plugs. <laughs> 
drowned it out. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. But you know, Jason has, has, I've noticed this on long road trips. He will take his, of course, you know, I love to sleep in the car. Mm-hmm. Shocker. He will take his bows, like ear, whatever they are, yeah. buds. And I'll notice like him leaning against the window or say his, the kids are on devices or something. And I'll be like, he will have a podcast or a book going in one, one earbud ear. in the left ear. And he'll be straight listening to a mu- you know, his own, while I'm like getting Nutella out of the box, you know, the yeah. box for the kids and like finding their shoes and things like that. Honey, he is straight listening to like prime, crime podcast. So I'm Jason. Uh, I am Jason. That's exactly what I do. One ear on my yeah. left side so nobody can see what I'm doing. I'm listening to my crime <laughs> podcast because they don't need to hear right. somebody getting their Murdered. head chipped off, yeah. you know. And then they're just off there chit-chatting, telling me stories, and I just kind of do the mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. It's important, though. It is important. I mean, because, you know, one of the things that I think is so important is that it, who are we listening to? And I'm not talking about the podcast. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the people in our lives that are influencing us. It's the people that are telling us or the social media that's telling us or, you know, the parent on the sideline. Whatever influence that is mm-hmm. that's going, I'm going to be competitive with you. My kid's going to be competitive with yours. Yours isn't performing this way. Or we drum that up in our heads after we hear them say, well, Johnny finished his project and we made homemade Lincoln Log houses out, <laughs> right. of, out of popsicle sticks. We ate 472 popsicles and then built a house out of it. And that's what he's turning in for Pioneer Week. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, Dad. Miss Pioneer Week. It was two weeks ago. Yes. Yes. And then I'm like, I'm a terrible parent. My kid's dumb. (laughs) He will never make it in Boy Scout. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Like, and you just go down the shame spiral. Right. Yeah. When really, I mean, you strip that all down. It's our ego that, of course, that's it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And we're the ones putting this pressure onto the children. Yes. And they feel it. Of course. They just need to go hug a tree. Go outside. Everything's going to be okay. Get grounded. Ground yourself, kids. Mm-hmm. Well, I loved listening to them, and this is one that I will definitely go back and listen to again. For sure. And their book, The Parent Compass. Yes. It is like a Bible. Yeah. Navigating your teen's wellness and academic journey in today's competitive world. Baby. I mean, just get your highlighter out. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Kim Swells, for making this connection and putting us onto them. And we're just thankful that we have their friendship in our lives now and just ready to turn the page in parenting. That's right. Thanks for listening. Bye.